Hi, this is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. Well, it's 2013, February 2013 to be exact, and this marks the show's seventh year. And it's hard for me to believe sometimes that I've been doing this for as long as I have, but that doesn't mean that I don't still love doing it, because it certainly is a big part of my life, and I really enjoy doing the show, not only for the gratification that I get from having a chance to talk to photographers whose work I admire and share them with you, but just the fact that so many of you listeners out there have really grown to appreciate and love the show. It means a lot to me when you send me emails and messages and and let me know how different episodes or just the entire show have really made a difference, not only in your photography, but your life. And uh, it really does my heart good every time I get an email or a message or I see a, a review on the iTunes store telling me what people think about the show. It's fantastic, and I'm so glad that when I came up with that idea while I was stuck in L.A. traffic that I actually saw it through and went through all those challenges of trying to figure out how do you record this thing called a podcast and deliver a show for people to listen to. And the fact that I have so many thousands of people all over the world that listen to this program never ceases to amaze me. And so I want to thank all of you listeners, especially those who found me at the very beginning and stuck with me through all those uh, difficult challenges in terms of sound quality and, and so on and so forth. And even those people who have just recently discovered and have been starting to spread the word amongst their friends and other photographers, a thank you goes out to you as well. I really want to give a special thanks to Martin Taylor, who for a little more than a year has been serving as the editor for for the show. Um, his help in developing this, producing this program and putting it out there, I, I can't thank him enough. He's been really a critical component of the show, especially with my decision to make it a, a weekly program. So Martin, this is for you. You're You're awesome. Now, I make this request periodically, but if the show's meant anything to you, and if it's really made a difference in any aspect in terms of your life, in terms of your photography, in terms of your artistry, please take the time right now to write a review or write an entry on your blog to share it with people, to, to allow more people to discover what we're doing here at the show. It means a whole lot in terms of being able to draw more people here, because even though I've been doing this for seven years and there are a lot of people who know about it, there are a lot more people who don't know about it. And there are a lot of photography podcasts out there. And this show is very different from any of the other photography podcasts that are out there. And so the more it grows, the more people are aware of the show, the better able I am, not only to be able to increase my audience, but also increase awareness about the show so that those photographers who I've been itching to interview since I created the show, I'll be able to bring them on. Though I've gotten some great guests on this program over the last seven years, there are some photographers that have really eluded me. And you can really help in creating an awareness about this program and its uniqueness that will really help me gain access to some of those voices that I know you guys want to hear as well. So you can help me a whole lot by just writing a review or, or writing something on your blog. It doesn't take very long, but that small little gesture that you can do right now can really make a difference in what I can do with the show, not only in this year, but all the years to come, because I, I have no plans of slowing down. 
And the other thing that I ask of you is if you can make a small donation to the show, it really goes a long way. And it helps me keep down my, my costs in terms of paying for the bandwidth for the show. But a lot of that money that I've saved over the last seven years has gone to purchasing equipment that I have used exclusively to help produce the show. One of the big things I was able to invest in was a small digital recorder and some mics. So when I do interviews in person, the sound quality can be as good as, as it can possibly be. And I know you've heard the difference. And that's a direct result of some of the donations that people have made. And it doesn't have to be a whole lot. It can be $5. It can be $10, $20, whatever you can afford. If you can take the time right now to click on the PayPal link on, on the website and make whatever you can afford, it really does make a big difference. And if the show's meant anything to you, it really will help me in really being able to take the show to the next level. But enough of that. Today's guest is Winifred Whitfield, and I became familiar with her work a couple of years ago. I think I discovered her on Facebook, and I saw her work, and what she does is she takes photographs. She's a photographer, but she's also a painter, and she does portraits that are originally derived from these photographs, and she uses Corel Painter to create this final piece of work for her clients. And while that's really interesting, when I had the chance to finally sit down and talk to her, this this woman is a wonderkin. It's amazing that she came from a really successful career in Wall Street, where she had all the trappings of success, and she left it all behind to become an artist. And I know that a lot of you out there are in similar situations. You're in a job where you, you're successful, you, you have the money, you have the title, you have the prestige, but you're longing to do something different. You're, you're longing to have a more creative life. And there's no better example than today's guest for someone who really just said, I need to have more of that in my life and I'm just going to do it. I know it's not easy for everyone to sort of just pack it up and, and make a huge transition, but I hope that you derive some some form of inspiration from her and start thinking about how you can make your life this year more creative. So sit back and enjoy our interview with Winifred Whitfield. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Squarespace. Our friends at Squarespace have this great product, Squarespace 6. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or a blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. Everything on the platform is drag and drop, so it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The templates are clean and crisp. It puts the focus where it needs to be on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, iPhone, computer, or any other device. Import content from your blogs and push your content back out to your social networks. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame to start a free trial. No credit card is required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code candid frame two to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com forward slash candid frame offer code 
Candid Frame 2. One word, Candid Frame 2. Well, Winifred, welcome to the Candid Frame. Good morning, Baryonyx, and thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, like I told you before, I've been seeing your work for two years, and I think I mentioned in that email that I, I wanted to have you on the show, but I finally got around to it. So thank you for being so gracious to, to allow me to sit down and talk for you uh, for a while. Oh, that's great. I wanted to start off talking about how you got back into art, because I know that you had had an interest when you were younger, but then you went off and had a successful business career. And in reading previous interviews with you, you've mentioned that at some point you felt like that wasn't giving you the kind of fulfillment that you desired. And I want to start there because I'm, I'm interested not so much in what you were doing, but if you can take us back to that, that point in your life and what you were feeling, because, you know, you had... You had all the financial success, you had the titles, you had all the, you know, the cachet that sort of comes with it. What were you feeling? Why, why did you feel that it just wasn't enough? You know, it's really, um, that's really interesting because I, I can remember that. And I remembered a series of experiences that triggered me acknowledging that I had to do something different. And... <laughs> Oddly enough, one was a business trip to Alaska. I got to Alaska, and it was the end of October, but I really wanted to see Alaska. And I'm not a person who goes into, you know, for me, Alaska was, you know, giant vast, which it really is. But the idea of getting into a car and going and wandering about (laughs) to, to see this great state, it's just that's just kind of not me. But I had to see it. And many people said to me, you know, you might want to go at a different time. And I thought, no, I'm going now. I mean, the trip is now. I need to go meet with this port now. So I went and I thought, I'll call up, you know, various tourist type of organizations and they'll take me out and show me the sites. Well, it was October 31st. <laughs> These guys had closed down. And in fact, it wasn't light until 1030 uh, in the morning, and it was getting dark at at two, so that was not going to be a possibility. So the only way I was going to get out was, you know, to rent my car. Anyway, to make a long story short, the experience of that trip and seeing the some parts of that state, and then I went back because that was a business trip, and it was really basically an Anchorage, and Anchorage is not pretty at all. I went back and I got to spend time in Alaska. So going from New York City to Alaska, there is a vast change there in experience. And whereas there's an attitude that says, when you look at the density of New York, you think of all the business activity, all of the people, all of the opportunities that that you can fast track, you know, and I had, had many of those experiences as well. You think, you know, you do think... If it can happen anywhere, it can, hap- it can happen in New York. It's, it's going to happen in New York. It was so interesting that when I was in Alaska, and especially my, tr- my second trip, when in fact I did rent a car and, you know, drove through into Denali Park and, you know, did a lot of driving in some areas outside of Alaska, I felt more connected to myself than I had 
at any time. It was just an amazing experience. It's like I can I could hear what was going on inside of me. I could feel my feelings. New York has a capacity to muffle out all of that. It is so loud. It is so tense. You're into such survival mode on on so many levels. There's so much competition. There's so much that is imposing upon you in terms of the stimulation of the environment. You can get lost. You can lose yourself. Whereas many people are in New York because, in fact, they want to lose themselves. They don't want to really know what they want, what they feel, how they feel, because that's a scary place to go. It's actually a place I very, very, very much love going. I love to be in a space where I can feel and hear my creativity, where I can feel my feelings. It's not a scary place for me. I'm like, a, <laughs> I, I don't have a great deal of fear. So when there's something that I want to do or direction I want to go in, or I just go there. I love change where many people say, no, I love repetition. I want to know when I walk into a meeting, I want to know how it's structured and what's going to happen. And I can go back every week and belong to this organization because every week it's going to do the same thing. That dry, I can't bear it. I cannot bear it. So for me, going into Alaska and probably the swing to the extreme, it was so telling to me. The experience was so clear to me in terms of my access to me and how special and wonderful. And it's like I felt more alive, more full than in New York. So it was clear to me that I needed to make a change. And and staying in New York, yes, could I have the next great title and the next level of income? Yes. Was any of that going to make me happier? No, absolutely no. And I know that. And, and see, that kind of thing it didn't frighten me either. The fact and the fact was, at a point, I just went in, resigned, poof, poof, even <laughs> even left bonuses and and things on the table because it was just time for me to go. And I really don't tie myself to those kind of things. Well, let me ask you about that because I think a lot of people have had a similar experience. They go somewhere and they have what could be a really life changing experience. Either it's you know traveling in your case, mm-hmm. or it could be something else, and they just feel like, God, I want more of that in my life. And they go back to their normal life and all of a sudden they're sucked right back in to what they had left before. And any sort of thoughts or inspirations they might have had sort of sort of fade, <laughs> fade away. So what was it about you and what what kind of choices did you need to make to be able to leverage that feeling and hold on to it? Because there's so many people who would want to make that leap but have a real difficulty sort of leaving those trappings of success behind. Because, you know, and, that was, and, that's, and that's why I said that, and I know that it's really very significant. It's a very significant attribute of mine that allows me to do things like that, and it is that I don't have a great deal of fear. Or, or, and I can say to fear, if it emerges, because it's not that I don't sometimes have it or feel it, but I am very clear about the fact that, I will not let that make decisions for me. And that I would say to myself, so Winifred, are you going to walk the walk, you know, walk the walk or talk the talk? Like if you are not happy, if you want to be elsewhere, if you believe in a world that will support you in pursuing that which is 
best for you, which brings you joy. If you say you believe that, then do that. So, you know, so admit selling the property that I owned in New York and admit quitting my job and admit it, it meant walking away from all of those things and going. And, and that's what I did. So, the, but the thing is that I have a belief system that support me believing that I can fly, (laughs) (laughs) that I believe I can fly. It's true. I do. I have that and that I don't have. So it's true. I have that and I I don't have a great deal of fear. So it lets the, 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 the theoretical concept of taking a chance for me, the real con, the real risk taking is not to pursue things that you believe will bring you joy and to get stuck in those trappings and i just will not do it yeah i can imagine some of your friends looking at going looking they thought at you i was going, absolutely out of my mind yeah, Winifred, <laughs> we love you but why don't you be a little more reasonable i mean no. you have no credentials as a photographer as an artist Correct. you know you don't have clients and you, you want to go out and do what so oh, I, I wasn't even going out <laughs> to do that i was i was going to do nothing no i mean i just was look i'm i'm leaving new york and leaving wall street and i'm just going to Seattle, then we'll Seattle. For New Yorkers, Seattle is like wilderness. Honestly, <laughs> it's like you're going where. But and and when you're leaving Wall Street and you're vice president, I was. You're leaving. You're usually leaving. You're going to some, you know, bigger firm or some higher income. You don't just leave. You don't just leave. And then you don't just leave and go <laughs> go to Seattle. And what did I do? I went to. Seattle and within, you know, a year or so, I bought a farm. I bought an old farm and had llamas and camels and gardens. And it's that that, you know, propelled me into photography because I just needed, I never wanted to be a photographer. I needed, you know, photos of my animals for my website. So, (laughs) but what I do love is mastery. I couldn't have crappy photos. I couldn't, you know, because I looked at the magazines and I saw beautiful photos so I couldn't have photos that were anything less than superlative because I, I am into mastery and into aesthetics. I love that. I love beauty. And I love competency. So that meant going to photography school just so that I could take, take uh, have good photos to put on my website of my animals. That's all I wanted to do. But then the bug bit, you know, so that, you know, that. And, and, and even at that point, the funny thing is, I already had Photoshop 3 and was fascinated by Photoshop. And I was, didn't even have, you know, certainly didn't have a digital camera. Well, that was 2000. So, um, but was fascinated by this editing. So I had started and was comfortable and fascinated in Photoshop before I ever had a digital camera. So when within a year or two, digital was like, you know, affordable and decent. I was I was happy, and that stopped so many photographers for so long because they didn't know that they didn't want that. You know, they wanted to take that 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 photograph and have it done. Me, I wanted to change everything. So you can see my route now to t- continuing to change things, <laughs> painting, <laughs> painting. I wanted to, I always wanted to edit. I you know I didn't want anything left as it is. No simple quick fix nothing like let me change the world here with this this image digitally so that's how i got into photography but yes my friends they would come to visit me in the northwest and especially after i had the the farm and had llamas (laughs) and there were little llama babies being born there and they went 
what world do you live in? What is wrong with you? Mm. It was. It was pretty funny. So did you start getting into photographing people as a result of people wanting to having wanting to have their weddings on your property? That's what happened. Okay. So so tell me about that because going from llamas to shooting weddings <laughs> is quite a leap. <laughs> so um but the thing is so all I also had this, you know, never cared for a farm, 100-year-old property, had never had aesthetic attention. And, you know, you look in the magazines, and it was beautiful. But see, you know, I have this requirement. I love things beautiful around me. So I had to start, you know, trying to make this land look like something. I knew nothing about knew nothing about that whatsoever. I'd never owned, I'd owned an apartment in New York, but I certainly never owned a house or a piece of land and certainly not a, you know, a rundown farm. But the land was so beautiful. It's rolling hills. It had a spring on it. It had an old apple orchard. It had a big old barn, a hundred-year-old barn. Me, I came from New York and I have a hundred-year-old barn. It's like, how cool am I? <laughs> so, um, so I, I started that process and magically, I don't even know how it happened, honestly, over time, you, and it also speaks to just looking, like constantly evaluating that environment, like hour after hour, day after day, looking out and, and taking one step at a time. What's amazing, what you can do with little bites, you know, without a lot of knowledge, but, and without a plan, I'm not a person who plans my, their lives. I, I guess that's pretty apparent to you by now. <laughs> but, but I am a person who, who shows up and who stays in motion. And I find that to be of tremendous value, just staying in motion and, and evaluating. So I would, I would look and I would do something. And then if the weeds didn't overtake it, because I did not know what I was... But over time, here grew these absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gardens, you know, that were featured on Home and Garden Television. And, and people would walk into my, into my environment to think they were coming to see my animals over on the hillside. It was really such a pretty structure to work with. I mean, you need good bones, and then you can do work, and you can create beautiful environments. If it doesn't have good bounds, you can work forever and never get anywhere. So uh, they, would, they would walk into, they'd be walking through the garden to get to a hillside pasture and they'd stop in the middle of the garden. They'd go, oh, you're an artist. And I would hear that over and over again. And I, you know, I finally stopped to think about it. And I thought about how, how I looked at things and how I looked at things in my garden, that I would stand in an upstairs window and I would look down and I would feel, it. and a lot, art for me is very experiential. It's about, it's about how things feel. So, mm -hmm. and, and so I'd look down and, and you can, I can feel harmony um, and visual dissonance really is troubling to me. It's a, it's a process that grows. It's a sophistication that grows over time through looking and looking and looking and working and looking and discovering what works. And then you, you dis often discover or learn the underlying principles, which then supports your ability to see. But, um, but the same thing happened in creating the garden rooms and the environment and the movement and flow of it. And I'd look down and I'd go, why have I cut that off there rather than letting it sweep around that way? And once that's said, once I say that to myself, 
it's done, you know. And I would dig up things, I would move things around. And then I learned that you really need to start with the structure, with the big trees that occur in the garden, because my garden was not about little flowers. It was about a lot of structure and arbors and, and trees and shrubs and paths and all kind of things, textures. And so, you know, I get to, so, okay, so I created these gardens and people would see that. So then one person said to me, you know, I have a niece who's getting married, you know, could she get married in your, you think? she could get married in your gardens so it's like you know of course and you know it was a for pay wedding and so her niece got married and a photographer came using my art as <laughs> their backdrop another photographer was in my piece of art taking pictures well I didn't like that mm. so you know there were a couple of those weddings but um, but I continued with my art my my black and white film because I did take the class and I would you know whatever whenever I get into anything is fairly obsessive so now I've been out printing and printing I had to have my own dark room because you know you have to be able to at any hour of the day or night you know print I couldn't get on go to the ferry get on and go to Seattle to print anytime I wanted to laugh so I had a great dark room in my barn having that barn it was a wonderful thing and um, and I would frame things. And I also didn't put prints in a box. I would mat them. I would frame them. They would be about my black and white landscape type photos, right? But this young lady came over and she saw my work. She said, I want you to do my photographer. Now, that's how uneducated people <laughs> are <laughs> about selecting their wedding photographers very often. Um, but I tell you. I did an excellent job, and those wedding pictures, all black and white, all that I printed, they are still strong today. I could not move or I don't think get out of bed for two days. I was so stressed at the enormous responsibility of photographing someone's wedding, and I was doing it with a film camera and completely on manual the whole time. I always wanted to, from the very beginning, my whole thrust was to be able to operate a camera manually because they were my tools. I wanted to know how to use them. I did not want to be shooting automatic, not even a wedding. Yeah, I, I, I think people right now listening going, this woman does not like doing anything easy. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So the, the work I, I knew, I've known you for is primarily the, the portraits. So how did you, how did you get into making portraiture the, the focal point of, of your work because th they're lovely images, whether they're stills or whether you've you know, incorporated Corel Painter into making them into, into, into paintings. You, know, you had a wealth of subject matter around you, so you could have just become a, a photographer of just natural environments, but you, you sort of gravitated to making pictures of people exclusive from anything you were doing with the weddings. Why, why do you think it drew you? Why did that come to become like your, your area of, uh, of passion and expertise? I didn't do weddings very long because, and it was interesting because I had the opportunity what I decided was within two years or with the, after the first year of having weddings at my place that I didn't, I really did not like other photographers in my gardens <laughs> taking the wedding photos. I didn't like that. It was like, 
they were walking around taking photos in my art. I mean, this is, I keep saying that, but you don't really get what that meant to me. It was like, you're going to have all these magnificent photos because of what I did. That's Mm -hmm. not okay. I can take photos also. So I would say to brides, and the gardens were so beautiful, they were just in great demand. I would say to them, if you know, if you want to use my gardens for your wedding, um, I will be the photographer. You cannot hire hire another photographer to take your wedding pictures. And they didn't really object to that, uh, and it certainly never served them inappropriately. I mean, it was it was a good situation. They always got beautiful images and beautiful albums. But what happened was, I found that I really just. So it was a very successful business that I could walk out of my back door and both have the fees for um, a wedding venue and for the wedding photography. And I could often do it twice a a week, right at home. Mm -hmm. That's how much, but I quit because I wasn't having fun. Joy is very high on my list of requirements in life. It really is. It's like I didn't like it it wasn't I really was not enjoying I wasn't enjoying all the people coming Um, I wasn't enjoying you know I wasn't enjoying wedding photography I like to tell my own story and whereas it's incredibly important that someone capture and um, tell the story of the wedding day I found that I didn't want to be the one to do that you know, so, and I also don't like, um, these are things you find out, I don't like processing large numbers of images. I have, I loved working with one, one to three images per person. It's like I am totally invested in them, their beauty, their expression, their story in portraiture. That's it. I don't, so, I, you know, I was, I'm not the, a good fit for weddings or for photo production or for, you know, kind of large business type things. I like highly customized, high-end, one-two pieces types of work. So that's how it happened. But weddings do give you uh, access to a huge number of people so that people can know you and, and know the work that you can do. And, and ladies often wanted to give special images to their significant other if it was before they were married or to their husband, like some, some sensuous portrait. And so I was asked to do that kind of work. And I started doing that. And from there it evolved, you know, I created my intimate portraits for women, but people are often disappointed when they look at my intimate portraits because they go, Oh, (laughs) and I say intimacy is, it's not about the amount of skin showing. It's about the the inner story, expressing the inner self, the, the portrait, the portrayal, that's my real interest. So, although there might be some women who don't have a lot of clothes on or beautifully draped in shears, for me, it's finding that quiet place. And it's a, it's a type of portraiture that I'm very comfortable with. And, and people have told me, many people have told me that they're totally not comfortable with that. But that going to that within, like not being superficial, I don't want any smiling pictures, any cutesy stuff. I want that quiet, reflective place. I want this to be an image that, that, is, ti- that is timeless and that you feel. You feel that person. When you look at them, you really wonder that it stops you. You, you think about them. You, you, you feel that the inner person being expressed, their 
heirloom portraits and I want them to serve that purpose over time and over the generations for people. So that's how I got into portraiture. Well, let's talk about that. How do you, how do you get to that? Because you mentioned like uh, with a lot of the other portraits of there, uh, primarily of women that are out there, y- you see a sort of cookie cutter approach to it where it's a highly retouched picture that may or may not be a reflection of who that person really is. But your pictures are really sort of tapping into something inside that you're trying to bring out. But how do you get to that point? Because, you know, you're using lighting, you're using cameras that a lot of other people have. Okay. So, so what are you doing in collaboration with your subject to be able to bring that out? Because these people aren't being, aren't used to being photographed all the time. So there's a level of discomfort there. So how, how, how do you work it out so that you can succeed in what you're trying to go for? You know, I, and I it will say, in case I forget before I answer that, certainly my images are highly retouched or and painted, and people often don't look like they look in in the portraits because and they and trust me, they would not pay me what they pay me to make them look like they really look. That's not what they want. Okay, so we'll say that. But still, the expression is there. And how do I get? And these and it 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 amazes me. You the some the most. Ordinary, and I, I am like so honored when I, when many of my clients come to me. They are just plain salt of the earth, simple, no makeup, you know, may have the extra pounds, the whole thing. And they're coming to me. They want a beautiful portrait. And they look at people on the wall and they look at them and they say to me, how do you get them to be so comfortable. They see that. They feel it in those images. And I, you know, initially, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to the fact that I was doing that, creating that, or that anyone else could see that. But I was always getting that. And then I would hear people say to me while in my studio, you make me feel so comfortable. And I would go, how in the world, like, you know, I, I was not coming up with some formula for, okay, when someone comes in, what will I do to make them feel co- very comfortable? No. It, what happened is I certainly always have a consultation with, with my clients, with the ladies that come in primarily, 99.9% of the time. And we talk and I genuinely know that it's important, and I'm genuinely interested in them. So I want to know why they are here, what has made them want to create this kind of very special portrait at this time. And usually it's, usually it's um, an anniversary gift or a birthday present or, or once in a while, just something for me. I've never done anything like this, and I want to do it. My primary, the primary age range of the women who come to me, I would say are between 45 and 70. Um, and I do, you know, I do work on either side of that, but that is the, the target range. Sometimes it's about things are not going to get better. I better do this now. <laughs> or, it's, or it's something that's been, you know, just put off. I've wanted this for so long. By the time women come to me for this 
type of portraiture it is. It's something they've probably thought about and wanted for years, and, but they didn't know what, where to go or who could do it or who they could trust. And so they come in and it is, it's like, you know, my my gallery studio environment is really very rich and pretty. They're beautiful, you know, framed ornate portraits on the wall, the the coloring is deep and warm. The oriental carpet's deep and warm. So it's like, it's a very nurturing kind of environment that you um, feel good in. And and then it, it, there's this connection. You know, I, I still, I'm fumbling because I don't have a good answer you know, to I, I think, what happens. I, you know, I, think, I think you tapped onto it because you said that when, when these women come in, they're largely doing it for themselves. And... And I can imagine that, that there's a, a reticence for women to sort of acknowledge that they want to sort of see themselves in a particular way. Correct. That they want to sort of honor the way they look, that they want to recognize their own beauty. Because if, if a woman sort of lays claim to that, they can feel that they're being accused of being just too vain, they're being too self-centered. And I think that that's not what it's about for them, and that you recognize that. And and they see it in the work, but they also see it in the fact that you create a, an opportunity for them to feel comfortable and not have to feel defensive about oh, wanting sure. to do that. And I think that that really helps it to happen. So, But, but to, to be honest, usually they do not say they're doing it for themselves. They say they're doing it because I, I don't think women are typically not able to justify or to say that they're doing something like this or doing this kind of expenditure for themselves. That is really, that almost doesn't exist. They're doing it for him. It's his gift. It's a it's an anniversary gift or birthday gift, mm. and it's for him. So w- women would, they they can't do that. They're, they're taught, they're, most women are just not brought up that way. That resources have to go to the family. That would be a very, very selfish thing to do. So they're not doing it for themselves, typically. Oh, okay. But still, they feel good about it. They really feel that they can do it because they're doing it for someone else and they can justify that. But the thing I can do with women is that, is that you know, I support them in being quiet. You know, I think really a lot of it I really cannot articulate. I have want, I have spent a lot of time thinking about it because it has become something that I know that I can always nail, that I can always do, that I can always support them in bringing forth so that I get that quiet, beautiful place within them and, and, I, and it will be expressed through the portrait. But to say how I do that, I you know, it is some connection that I simply am able to make with people that creates that level of comfort. I am very happy that it exists. Um, I'm very happy because it is true that they are certainly care about, but I know that there are other people who care about their clients too. So how this magic works with me and my clients, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm just very grateful that it exists. Yeah. Well, how did the, the painting come in into into? Into, into into this whole mix because you were starting off doing it pretty much as a straight photographer, but then eventually you started incorporating, you know, Corel Painter and creating paintings using the software, using a Wacom tablet. Yeah. Why were you drawn to that? What what did 
those controls provide you that <laughs> street photography didn't. Oh, I love painting so much. You have no idea. You probably do have some idea because you've seen how much work I generate. You know, I was an art minor, not major, in college. So I've, I've always had um, interest in art from the time I was a, a little child. When, as a seven-year-old, and every Christmas, I only wanted an oil painting kit. And I wanted to paint, and I was painting and drawing all the time. Although I really, really, really went away from all of that until, you know, as, as a kid. So I didn't just keep going and keep going and have this ongoing passion for art or drawing. But then in college, again, you know, I did do, you know, my my art minor. And I remember that in my art classes, I was in a class, and I was the only one in the class that didn't have to take the final exam because, you know, my work was... So at such a level consistently, like, you know, which was a surprise to me, but that was the case. And then I really went away from it, you know, as I went into you know, finance and went to Wall Street and all of that. So, and I definitely was not looking to be a photographer or an artist, not remotely, but you know, there are just some of these things that are just in you if you, if you are in fact a, a creative person, which I really believe most people are, even though they don't know it, um, so at a point, I saw some work, you know, in this digital world, and that I thought was really very beautiful, and it was very painterly, and I had no idea how it was being done, or, you know, what software was used. I had no clue about it at all, and that is what sparked my interest and I decided that I had to learn about this world of painting, and it was not easy. I had spent a lot of, I'd been in Photoshop for a long time then, and really aiming for mastery there, and could do a lot of things, and could do really great retouch, and, and cloning, and changing of environments, which, you know, it's always been important to me, change things. So, I thought, oh, so learning this Corel Painter thing, like, you know, that'll be a snap. Huh? <laughs> It's, it's, it was not intuitive in any way. I didn't feel any real carryover from anything I learned in Photoshop. And as many did, opened that program, tried to do something, and closed it probably for a very long time before, you know, finding a path of, um, of instruction and step by step. And then at a point I said to myself, like I do about anything, well, you know, little by little, you can start to learn this and in two years, you can be competent at it. I really started, got myself started well about 2005 or 2006. You can get started in a couple of years, you can be competent, or you can not get started in a couple of years from now, you can still know nothing. So it's like, just, you know, my just get going, stay in motion thing, it will always get you there little by little. Um, and then I just got to a point where I paint every day. I paint every day and that will, and I, and I, and I study and I focus on it. I don't just, you know, dabble with it. I, I work to learn um, painting and I have resource images and I have libraries of digital files and I have stacks of art books that I keep around me when I work. So that before I start paintings, I look at this work. I'm looking at color palettes. I'm looking at, at edges because the idea is to emulate traditional painting. I don't do, and I don't paint 
the easier way. It's like, you know, there's most people come in, they start to, to clone, to pick up color from, from the underlying um, image because you can use with photos. I never, ever, ever do that. I want to always be free so that I can paint the way I want to. So I usually paint on a layer. I can also paint, you know, not using images at all. I can paint. I can look at a vase of flowers and paint them. I can paint from imagination. Um, so I, I now have all of that available to me, and I enjoy it very, very much. I'm like totally obsessed. It is just my joy. I mean, I can paint, I can paint sit and paint 12 hours a day easily. Well, th- that, that daily practice is something that, that is very valuable in terms of you developing your skill as as an artist but it's something that you also emphasize to the people who you teach painting to you you, you encourage them do it every day do it every day absolutely and, i do and whether you're a painter whether you're a photographer or a writer or a musician that daily practice um makes so much of a difference because if you just relegate it to you know every every weekend or you know or every every you know every right occasion that you know where it presents itself you don't. You can't expect to be any good at it. And I think part of taking on any new art is always, you know, a, a, a part of being able to do the work so that you can get proficient, but also to get past that voice that says, "Oh, I'm not good at it," or "I don't have any innate talent." Oh, and you know, I never said that. I don't even. I, you know, I don't have that voice. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I'd like to say that I do. And now I am. Um, teaching I have I love to do work with an individual so I have my my almost one-to-one um, workshop series now where I where I teach um, some painting and painting t- tools and I meet with people it's it's an online type of workshop and I'm like there I'm there with them the entire time so it's really personalized training it's not just um, it's not just downloading um, lessons in fact I don't do that we really just get online and go to work so it's it's a very personalized and personal type of hands-on workshop that I do with just one or two people I said I could do five but actually you know two (laughs) two is good it's really very intense but people and it's done over time so the wonderful thing is that you get to, and you know how learning occurs? It's very difficult sometimes for people to take in eight hours worth of work and uh, of new information in a day. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we break it into smaller blocks and do, you know, this work today, and then you get to go and spend a couple of days and do some homework, think about it, come back and do another block. And then you have questions to ask that, that make sense because you've actually try to process some of the information and do some of the work. It's it's something that is working very, very well. People really benefit from it. They love it. And I really enjoy doing it. So I offer that, you know, in addition to lots of painting tutorials that are in my um, store and tons of tutorials on YouTube, different kind of tutorials. They're not tutorials. They're, you know, they're YouTube videos, the tutorials in my store that are like, you know, one to three hours long that are full. This is how I did this painting step-by-step step type of thing. But no, I am enjoying that very much. And I do. But the other thing that is very important in this whole process of learning to paint digitally, particularly when people are coming from photography, is 
that their focus tends to be on the photograph where the inspiration needs to come from art. There's, and there's a big difference there in how the image is manifest. If you're focused on the photo and then you're pulling, basically pulling in all the photographic content, that's different from a piece of painted art. A photo takes in the entirety of the environment. Um, and of course, you have some capacity now to selectively edit out some things, but still there is this tendency to focus on photographic content, colors, detail, information. When you're doing a painting, you are eliminating a great deal of detail. You can emphasize what you want to emphasize. You can de-emphasize what you want to uh, de-emphasize. You want to balance the, the, the colors and bring color har- harmony into, into, this, um, into this painting. You want to create edges. If you're thinking of traditional media, paint brushes create certain kind of edges. Um, they, it, it blends information in a different way. So how is one going to learn that? One has to study art. So that's its own process as well, and it's quite a wonderful one. With the many students that you've taught, do you find that there's any advantage with having been a photographer first and getting into painting, or do you find that uh, people just coming in cold are able to to, to latch onto that a little easier, or does it I, matter? I've, I've only worked with with people uh, who are photographers who want to learn how to turn their photographs into paintings. So I have not worked with people. I would think it would be a very different experience if a first person was not a photographer and simply wanted to learn to paint and painter. It would be very different. First of all, they're, they're not locked into or focused on any photographic content. So, you know, it's a, they'd be coming from an entirely different place. Mm-hmm. So they, they would be only focused on learning art principles and, um, and using the media to, to create the marks, I will say, the paint strokes, the marks that they wish, as opposed to being tied to and trying to draw some photographic content, but not really knowing what to, what to leave in, how to eliminate it, or what to do with the information of this, that's there. Having to manipulate existing content is harder, probably, than just being than a blank canvas. Yeah. So you've been at this for quite a while now. So you obviously still derive a lot of, a lot of joy from this. But how do you, how do you keep it being interesting because it seems like you're always you're always looking for a challenge so you've gotten quite good at what you're doing but how do you keep it so that you have another you know i have another uh, a challenge to meet you know it's it, challenging trust me trust me i think the the more you know the more challenging becomes it's <clears throat> the challenge in no way has diminished in fact in fact what i do is i keep setting the bar higher and higher so uh, there's no, you know, when you, if you're an artist, there's no, there's no end to what you can learn. You are an eternal learner at that point that your skill and mastery can always 
be greater and higher and I which is why I work at it all the time because I want more I want more and better all the time um, and there's no way that I even approach being at the end of that that process not even close mm. I, I can't imagine that that can ever even happen you know so that's that's not an issue at all keeping a challenge keeping it so it, it's it stays fresh it stays exciting I look forward to uh, new work the projects that I give myself the paintings that I that I choose to do daily I, I'm excited about it I'm challenged by it and so I'm 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 very happy with with what I'm doing so both the painting and the teaching that's two very exciting places for me to be right now. That's great. Well, my last question is I ask each of my guests to recommend or suggest another photographer, or in your case, an artist, who our listeners can go on their own and discover and explore. So who would that one person be and why? I'm going to name someone who's not a photographer, but who provides Tremendous resources to um, this painting, digital painting community. And some of the really important, and there, there are many people, so this is like really, really hard. But there are, um, but he provides a big source of resource information. And also one of the things he does that is critical in this industry is that he makes the, the tools that we use, make some of the tools that we use, but he's really, really obsessed about it. You know, obsessed people, I like obsessed people because they really want to do a good job. They want, you know, they just get down the nitty, they do things that the rest of us don't want to do and they're little, in the things that they choose to focus on. So the person I'm going to recommend, and he has a huge uh, blog site, his name is Skip Allen. He's a former paint, um, potter. He taught pottery. He now is a painter. Um, he's a Corel painter master. And he has a blog site full of resources and tutorials and updates on what you need to know about this or painter just updated this or Wacom tablet just came up with this update and, and all of these amazing brush sets that he makes that are our critical tools for for painting that let us have thick paint. You know, I can paint and it looks like thick paint on my canvas or I can paint in watercolor, which is not my thing, but have paint running down my screen. You would not believe this technology. It's just phenomenal now. Um, And brushes that dance around, that pick up grain. You know, he he does all that. he, He creates these tools for us. So his name is Skip Allen, and his site is skipallenpaints.com. Great. And where can people go to find out about everything that you do? My website is winifredsgallery.com. And, of course, there's no apostrophe in Winifreds. And I'm sure you'll spell it out for me, please, or print it because people would otherwise get it wrong, winifredsgallery.com. And then on that site, I actually, you know, have many blog posts. I have a fine art gallery. 
I have my commission work galleries. I have a store where you can actually sign up to learn to paint in Corel Painter or learn to paint in, in Photoshop. And there are a huge list of tutorials. So tutorials can be purchased. And you can also go and find me on YouTube. There are probably 50 YouTube videos. They are short YouTubes. So you can kind of check out how I do things. And, you know, just put in my name, Winifred Whitfield, and it will bring up my YouTube channel. Oh, great. Well, Winifred, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed having a chance to finally talk to you. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. And keep up your good work. You've got a great, you have a great blog. Funny blog, informative blog, videos. It is really wonderful. You provide a tremendous service to the photographic community. Thank you. Thank you for that. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.